Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Washington, D.C. is Chris Matlock. Chris is Vice President of Advisory, Corporate Strategy, and Risk Practice at Gartner. And today we're going to be talking about some research they've done in third-party risk. First, Chris, thanks for taking time from your day to talk to us. Thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to our conversation. Me too, me too. Um, Third-party risk, always a hot topic, but it's been around for a while now. Why a report on it at this point? Yeah, Adam, I think it's a good question uh, because it does feel like it's had a, sort of a secular trend where we've needed to pay attention. But I do think there are a few things across the last five to six years that have really caused the need for coverage to increase more than we've seen historically. The first one is that the increasing threat surface that organizations face is really just tremendous. So said more simply, the number of places that we need to be aware that not only are we connecting with third parties and that creates vulnerabilities, but then our third parties are also themselves working with third parties and creating potential vulnerabilities. It's just much larger than we've seen before in the past. Um, I think the second thing that that really matters right now is that there's been this massive cycle of pandemic-induced growth which is kind of a weird way to think about it, but we're all really sensitive right now to the reduction in size that some large tech companies are going through, and they're not alone. A lot of companies are looking at their hiring over the last three to four years and saying, gosh, you know, we've added a ton, but on a net basis, they're still much, much larger than they were before. And that is because the organizations themselves are significantly larger. You know, many of the S&P 500 are 50 to 100% larger than they were a decade ago, not just in terms of revenue, but also the markets they serve and the size of the people that are part of the organization, which means, again, there are going to be more third parties, more int parties that we're connecting with. And then the final reason I would say it's important now and why boards of directors and senior leadership are turning to this from a governance perspective is we're in a really unusual economic cycle. You know, historically, when the economy turns south, whether that's at the personal level, at the business level, or both, those are the times when malfeasance uh, and noncompliance spike on us. And we have really been in kind of a a long-term bull cycle for the market and the credit markets. But we're at the brink right now where maybe it won't be the worst thing ever, but it might be a little tighter and a little worse than we've experienced in the last decade. And it's in those moments where smaller third parties or vendors that we work with might find themselves under pressure. And because we're so much bigger and we have so much more threat surface, we are probably more exposed now early in the 2020s than we were a decade or two decades ago, certainly. Well, it's a definitely an it's a fascinating time. I mean, you know, you read the economic statistics and we're in a recession, we're not in a recession. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, but things have definitely changed. And usually you're right, these are the periods where we find scandals at least emerging. So when it comes to third parties, where did your research find that the misses are taking place? Well, it's happening in the the usual suspects. Like, I think the domains themselves are probably not terribly surprising. So depending on the organization that, you know, a listener today is coming from, if you have to deal with a significant, you know, and long supply chain that stretches globally, or even across different parts of whatever country you're headquartered in, you know, we saw lots and lots of regional and geographic differences, for instance, in the response to the pandemic early on, say, between the north and the south U.S. or different parts of the globe. And 
over time, we moved from the network effect of everyone pausing together to starting to see more of a portfolio where there were different levels of intensity on lockdowns or closing ports, um, regulations that were put on shipping crews or other parts that are really just critical of not just making the stuff we need, but getting it from one place to another so it can turn into the product or the service that we want to deliver. So supply chain is definitely like one of the big spots we've seen, but IT and cyber risk and cybersecurity related threats also are larger. You know, one of the impacts of the pandemic was making big bets on digitalizing big parts of our organizations, either at the back of the house, so the systems that allow us to work more effectively and efficiently, especially since many of us started to work remotely or at least be on a hybrid schedule, or even start to hire uh, in a more expanded format, or front of the house, where we encouraged you know, our users, our shoppers, our customers, our consumers to engage with us in an omni-channel format. So whether that is your grocery store that more than likely is able to ship directly to your front door with your groceries or the massive expansion of online and e-retailers, you know, they're seeing a much bigger, and I mentioned this earlier, that much bigger threat surface that offers openings for malware and bad actors and malfeasance sort of across that chain. But it also happens internally. You know, because of the size of the organization, it does mean there's a greater opportunity to have things like operations disrupted or adverse financial impacts. If the universe of third parties that we're working with has doubled or tripled over the last 15 years, which is a pretty good estimate, and it kind of varies depending on the organization you plug into, but it's a pretty massive network. And that network is not managed centrally by one team with all data all the time. It is a distributed network of concerned business leaders across the organization dealing with imperfect information. So it's not just the domains where it takes place. It is that the opportunities and locations within our own organizations have multiplied significantly. It is amazing to see all the growth. And yet at the same time, in a lot of ways, it's sort of like where we were in 2019 laid the groundwork. A lot of what's happened has just been a continuation, albeit on steroids, of where we were. Uh, so you would think organizations would already have a handle on these risks, but clearly they don't. Where are they still getting surprised by issues? Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, I think like operational disruptions where because of the size of the organization, we're not always sure where sort of turning off a button in one place will affect us three steps downstream. But we're also seeing an increase in the, the intensity of the regulatory environment that we are subjected to, almost kind of regardless of industry. There, there was a time, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where we could easily say, if I'm in a high-intensity industry like banking or financial services or insurance or something that has a significant EHS component where I need to work, look out for worker safety, well, I've got this big regulatory burden I've got to pay attention to. And then it really tailed off quickly after that. That is less true today. So across this network of third parties, but also these internal business leaders that run those relationships, we are subjected to privacy regulations and FCPA and other types of things that historically we didn't have the same level of intensity to manage through. So that means that not only is it operation disruptions or financial impacts, but there's increased regulatory scrutiny and then reputational impact where we fail to live up to that. And then finally, and perhaps most distressingly, there may be actual regulatory action taken that forces us to deliver compliance at a higher level, which creates then a larger risk for the organization of failing in the future. It seems as if, you know, these days with the size and complexities, the ability to fail 
uh, does unfortunately go up. So what should organizations be doing differently now as they look down the road to what's going to happen next? Yeah, well, you know, the nature of third-party risk management, it's probably worth taking at least a small step back to at least briefly and accurately describe how that's managed today in an organization at scale. So if we're contracting, whether it was 500 or 5,000, but a multitude of third parties that are both vendors and suppliers, it's a lot to keep track of. And each one of them brings to the table complexities in terms of their contracting and in terms of their compliance-related work, legal-related work, the ability to be audited on crucial parts of their operation should we need to maintain some kind of compliance with standards or regulatory needs, um, the, the, the ability to make sure that their IT and their cybersecurity and other types of infrastructure will either work with ours or at least be compatible enough in terms of the same level of security, and introducing any different uh, risk from a regional or geopolitical perspective, just to make sure that we can either do business with them or that we will continue to be able to do business. So that whole process of certification before we bring a third party into our network, our ecosystem to work with them as a partner, there's a significant number of parties internally across the assurance ecosystem that have to work with them. Um, and so it is against that backdrop that there's not really a lack of information generally around vendors or third parties, arguably, but it is both so dispersed uh, or difficult to get sort of a read on that aggregation alone isn't enough to change the game. And so what a lot of organizations have tried to do is install technology or other types of services that will at least begin to warehouse and do some sense making. So try and create some aggregation and then be a thought partner with key uh, leaders in the business to then spot the trends that are out there. And I should be clear, that approach is already heads and tails above a decentralized approach to bringing on third parties and saying, we're gonna put the risk management on you, the business leader, and hope things work out well. And whether that's the explicit policy or the implicit policy, that happens more often than we wanna see. What we are seeing is more effective, and our particular research in this case focused on a role that doesn't traditionally always have the biggest positioning in third-party risk, but that is the head of enterprise risk management or VP of enterprise risk management. So someone who slots in to work with the board of directors and the senior leadership to create a portfolio of risks that are faced, and in that, third-party is one of them. But the role has typically been just what I described, aggregating information and being a thought partner. What our research showed is that pushing to define what are the enterprise-level priorities and then enabling alignment of that information across the many risks that are faced across the third party portfolio allows us to then identify key indicators across the entire group, not just at an individual level, that allows us to do forward-looking monitoring. So we are contributing to a continuous monitoring of the risk we're facing in the third party network as we pursue our growth objectives. And this generates not just value in managing the risk, but in supporting the growth ambition of the business, which increasingly is what a lot of assurance uh, and risk-related uh, functions are looking to do, is to find that sort of like tenuous connection between, if I can help you avoid what's gonna go wrong, then I can help you do more of the things that will go right. Well, and to your earlier point about organizations sort of growing exponentially, you know, you need that monitoring in place because so much does change, both for the organizations and likely for the third parties you're working with. So finally, what do you see coming next? 
you know, we've identified this approach and we wouldn't have been able to identify it if there were not some organizations that were engaged in it. Uh, but it is certainly not sort of like the mainline approach. This idea of isolating just the inputs that matter most and pairing them against the organizational priorities to create a more holistic view is incredibly easy to say. In fact, we've just done that. But it is much, much harder to do. And there are kind of three different categories that we think about a typical model of, of sort of process improvement. You know, there's the people, there's the technology, and then the processes that we use to execute against that. And each of those will take some level of investment and contracting in the governance process to bring about the change that we're looking for. So I think one of the biggest things that we're seeing, not just heads of risk management, but leaders across the assurance or the second and third lines within organizations moving towards is recognizing that data on its own is not a story. Bringing more data to the table does not lend truthiness, does not make the point for us. Because when we see a set of data, we instantly try to create stories around it. And the most progressive leaders are using that data, first they're teasing out that which means the most, and then they're creating a story around it to capture executive attention and show them how the data they're showing, the risk that's there, is connected to the things they're trying to accomplish. So that means becoming more visual in how we display data and making it more available and a part of the already existing business-related processes. So the more we separate our risk management work outside of the flow of work being done, the less likely it is to be pulled in organically into decision-making. And an interesting statistic on another study that we did is that something like 56% of strategic initiative leaders at the midpoint of their initiative become highly concerned with the concept of interconnected risk or spillover risk. But they had almost no concern for that at the beginning. So if you can imagine, I'm pursuing my objectives that might involve contracting with a third party. I'm not terribly concerned up front about how that's going to affect anything else. I'll instead, I'm mostly focused on my own goal, objectivity, and accomplishment. But somewhere around the midline, I begin to realize my pursuit of my objectives sits in an ecosystem of all of my peers at the company doing the same. And if I could better understand that web of risk, I might be better able to pass towards success. So as leaders, if we can pull that knowledge forward earlier in the process by, again, defining those priorities, enabling that alignment, and then creating forward-looking indicators, not only are we kind of the highest alignment for our role, but we are really driving value for the business. And driving value for the business is, in the end, what it's all about. Well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.